Welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners. This podcast is a production of Startup Space, an entrepreneurship community building platform. I'm your host, David Ponraj. In this podcast, we will speak with some of the leading voices in the field of inclusive entrepreneurship and learn from their best practices to apply in our own communities as practitioners. Today, we'll be speaking with Doug Irvin. Welcome, Doug. Good to be here, David. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So please tell me a little bit about your organization and the role that you play there. Yeah, sure. I, I work for an organization called EDON, which is the Economic Development uh, Associ- Association of Western Nevada. And my role there is uh, the Senior Vice President of Entrepreneurial Development. But really, the way I kind of look at myself is as an ecosystem builder or kind of an entrepreneur in community. And tell me a little bit about Edon's mission. Yeah, primarily Edon is focused on uh, job creation for uh, the greater Reno Sparks Tahoe area. But really, what we're you know focused on is creating opportunities and really helping diversify Northern Nevada and helping Reno become the best version of itself. And we do that in a couple of ways. Obviously, as a traditional economic development agency, we work with companies that are looking to relocate from the area. So a lot of companies are growing, moving out of California. Uh, as an example of that would be like Tesla. Um, but in addition to doing attraction, we also do workforce development. And so helping uh, the universities and uh, community colleges in K through 12 help train the workforce of the future. And then my role specifically is around how do we create an environment where entrepreneurs can be successful? And that's really the ecosystem development work. So I'm going to come back to that the whole topic of people leaving the valley. Uh, I think that's a fascinating subject all in itself. But let's go a little bit deeper into what does it take? And I consider you an OG ecosystem builder, and I say it with, uh, with a lot of respect. What does it take to create that culture of entrepreneurship in a community? Well, um, I appreciate that. I mean, it's kind of interesting. We think about we've been doing this work for almost nine years, uh, which is pretty crazy. And, you know, I think I I just want to say two foundational people that really affected our work, Victor Huang and Brad Feld, you know, the rainforest and startup communities were really our early Bibles. There was nothing else that really kind of drove this from a philosophical standpoint. But, you know, for me, I was uh, an entrepreneur in the Valley and I had a very personal experience where, you know, I didn't know much about what it meant to raise capital or to actually build a business in this particular industry. And I went to a key person for my former company and he walked me into the right venture fund. He walked me into the right lawyers and you just got a sense of like, this is how entrepreneurship works. And so I had a very felt experience of like what a good ecosystem felt like working in the Valley. You know, I found myself living in Reno, um, and when we went to set out to create this ecosystem, I just said, like, I'll know what it's good when I when it feels like what I, my experience was in the valley. And so that's sort of what we set out. That's that was sort of the guiding um, ideology, I guess. I, you know, and then I guess personally for me, I have two young boys, and I believed in Reno a lot of times when people didn't think it was a place to believe in, and I knew that it had potential, but. Um, it needed to transform in order to do that. So my kind of selfish goal was if I can help create a better Reno, maybe my kids will come back and stay here. Now, who knows? They're young and we'll see what they do. But 
at the time, it was pretty clear they didn't have a lot of opportunity. So, you know, there's, it's very personal for me in terms of why we create the ecosystem. Um, so that, you know, that's, that's part of the kind of the background. I think one of the first challenges we faced was how do you build a culture around entrepreneurship? And in Reno specifically at that time, there was probably two predominant cultural themes. It was one around, you know, gaming, which is like, I'll hold my cards close to my chest. Like people weren't collaborative. They weren't sharing. They weren't very open. Yeah. And then the other one was sort of a mining one, which is like, yeah, we're all friends if we go to the, the bar, but if you come in my land, I'll shoot you. Again, not collaborative. And so we really started at the very beginning by laying down the core values that we felt were critical for what a healthy ecosystem looks like. And, and a lot of those we actually creatively uh, borrowed and adapted from the rainforest. So, of course, this now begs the question, how is the Nevada ecosystem and how would you compare it? And when I say this, I will definitely have to caveat this. When I say compare it, uh, I don't mean rank it because uh, people always ask me, what are the top five ecosystems in the U.S.? And we are in 50 different cities. So people assume that, you know, we have a pretty good sense of what's, uh, what are like the top five. And I tell them, it's not fair to rank ecosystems because we don't all start at the same place. Sure. And if you think about like a hundred meters dash, if we all started at a different place in those hundred meters, and then if you asked, you know, who finished first and therefore give them credit for being first, you are uh, not being true to the effort it's taken the people that had to come the farthest. Yeah, no, I think it's great. And, you know, we have over time, I would say benchmark is probably the wrong word, but looked at a lot of other communities aspirationally. We've gone to a lot of other communities and learned and walked around the ecosystems. And, you know, for me, I'm just comparing myself to myself, right? So we're just looking to be the best version of Reno. And, you know, where we are at today is very different than where we were when we started. You know, I would say that we're, if there's even such a thing as like 30% there, um, you know, we where we are today is we have pretty much all of the major programmatic pieces that you would want in place, you know, accelerators and funds and programs for people along the whole, you know, stage of the entrepreneurial journey. Um, we have largely values that most people share. So I feel like this is definitely a barn raising community where people just roll up their sleeves and work together. You know, our primary core value is putting the entrepreneur first. And I feel like as a community, we largely live that. So I'm very proud of, of that. Um, but there's still a long way to go. You know, we only have a couple of funds and they're relatively small. Um, so there's a lack of diversity of options when it comes to that. Um, I think we could do a much better job in terms of being more inclusive to, you know, many different um, groups of people that are underrepresented. Um, but what I have noticed, especially in the last year or so, we're, we're seeing a lot of influx of people that have great ideas. And this is really my belief about how ecosystems are built. We create fertile ground. And if people show up and they want to participate, we remove all the barriers for them to do so. And we really help them engage. And that's how you build it. So in the last year, we've added a new accelerator program, a new, um, a new venture fund, and a new training program, all from this one group. So I, I'm just, I'm very excited about it, but I'm also, you know, clear that we're probably only 30% of the way there relative to what maybe an ideal ecosystem is, which, you know, maybe you never get there anyway. Yes. 
So let's talk a little bit about the legacy from where Nevada has come uh, to where it is today. This is really for the practitioners that are listening to this podcast. What have been some traditional barriers that you've seen that could be place-based? It could be uh, as a function of just the kind of jobs that are available in the community, et cetera. But as you've gone about thoughtfully putting this ecosystem together, can you kind of go back in time and tell us about some early early barriers that existed? It could be resource-based like capital, or it could be something that is more traditional in terms of uh, racial inequities, et cetera, that you've been able to uh, remove to help make this a conducive ground for your entrepreneurs. Yeah. I think when we started, I mean, there was very little in terms of ecosystem. I mean, there were a couple of people doing early work. I mean, the, the Reno Collective was involved and we, you know, we had a, we had a business incubator, but largely, you know, our community was driven by gaming and hospitality and that was the predominant industry. And so, or at least they had the predominant power in the political arena. And so startups weren't even a thing, like no one even considered what that looked like. And so I, you know, the best thing that could have happened from my perspective was the recession, you know, the great recession. And what it did is it really broke the existing paradigm. And when things were bad and they were bad here, you know, 15% unemployment across the board, it, you know, it, it was unclear whether Reno could bounce back from that. What it did is enabled a lot of people to open up their minds and say like, let's just try anything. And so it was fertile ground for new ideas. And at the same time, you had a ton of new leadership come into the community, including our CEO um, at, uh, you know, Mike Kazmierski from Edon. And that combination of that possibility, the, the real challenge in the community really opened up, I think, a lot of opportunity for us to try things. Now, you know, at the time there was, you know, it was an angel group here but there were no programmatic resources. You really didn't have anything. And so, you know, it was kind of like anything we could do would be an improvement. And um, I was a fun place to, to work with because it was pretty clear that there was a lot of early steps. So one of the first things we did at that time was bring in a mentor program. So we went and got the uh, MIT um, Venture Mentor Program and put that in place. And that that what that really did was start to coalesce a lot of different groups of people around supporting entrepreneurs. Um, I think that was one of the first key things that we brought in. And then we were one of the earliest cities. I think we were the sixth city to bring in 1 million cups. Um, I had the benefit of being able to work with uh, Coffin Foundation early on. And um, so we brought that in. And that, again, became a place where people could coalesce around how do we support entrepreneurs. And it's kind of amazing that you know we when we first started 1 million cups, we had about two or three weeks of pipeline and it's been going on strong COVID notwithstanding for seven years since then. That's incredible. And I have spoken at the Reno one million cups and I have actually a funny story. I, when I was starting out, I was accepted to CES. I've been a, a, in innovation my whole life. And so CES was uh, like the, the annual visit uh, to learn new innovations, et cetera. And, when I started this venture, I said, we need startup space at CES. So we were invited to be part of Eureka Park. And I'd, I'd learned about the Reno One Million Cup. So I'd actually written to the organizers and said, hey, uh, can we uh, get on your calendar? They said, sure. I then gave them that Wednesday when I was at Las Vegas. And I told them, hey, I'm in Vegas. I'm going to be coming to see you. And they said, you realize it's seven hours away. And I oh, did not no. <laughs> So, but since then, uh, through our work with the SBDC 
in Reno and with your organization and all the wonderful folks in Nevada, we've been able to come back and present uh, at the One Million Cups, which is a, a great testament to the kind of support services that, that an ecosystem needs. Well, this is actually, you bring up, you highlight a really, that's a funny story because so often, I mean, one of the biggest challenges for Reno was people were like, where is Reno? Number one, you know, the, the, the predominant view of Reno at that time was Reno 911, which was not particularly, you know, endearing Joe's, <laughs> you know, even the Muppets made fun of Reno. Like it, we were the brunt of a lot of jokes and people didn't have any idea where it was. And we, you were not the only person to say, Hey, I'm going to be in Vegas. I'll swing by. And I'm like, well, you're either driving eight hours, you're flying. So it just represented part of the problem. You know, how are we going to create an, how are we going to create Reno as a great place for entrepreneurs if we don't have any entrepreneurs here or if people don't know where we're at? And so a big part of what we did was really start to tell the stories of our entrepreneurs and really try and showcase that on a national level. So we brought in um, TEDx Reno. I was a curator of TEDx Reno for, for three years. And largely the point of that was to show the world that there were great ideas coming out of Reno. And there was, that was a, one of the things we did. We did a lot of things around that. But part of the challenge was just telling the entrepreneur's story. So people knew that entrepreneurship and startups were, were happening in Reno. I mean, if you go to the Bay Area, it is the economy. You know, in these smaller communities, startups are perceived, or at least they were back then for us, and probably still to some degree, these small, needy things that weren't really business. They just needed a lot of effort. Um, and they couldn't, they didn't see where the money was made. And so it was all this emphasis on established organizations, bigger companies. And that's fine, but we really needed to tell the entrepreneurial story. And I think that was a big part of what helped people start to believe that it was possible in Reno. Can we dig a little deeper into that piece? Because we see ecosystem builders across the country talk about the need for more resources to fund these kinds of roles. And then these roles can be the gateway into then standing up resources like TEDx or One Million Cups. But ecosystem building is not seen as a profession and standing up infrastructure for startups and small businesses does not have that same kind of, at least, perception around ROI. How did you all come up with the business case and get the buy-in and been able to show ROI so that practitioners are listening and are curious about kind of replicating the model? Where do they start? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And, you know, I, I think that we are very fortunate in, in one regard, you know, if you look at most economic development agencies, they don't really put entrepreneurial development at the same level as they do business development, you know, so they're much more focused on moving smokestacks and than they are in developing organic growth. Now, I think that is changing. I, you know, I've heard that the IEDC has, is running a really good course on, you know, entrepreneurial development now, but back when we started, that was not the case. And so I was very fortunate to have our CEO who believed in this. So we, he created this um, image called the three-legged stool. And so in our organization, business development, which is attraction, uh, workforce development and business retention is a leg of the stool and entrepreneurial development is a leg of the stool. And so we had equal billing. So, you know, in our organization, we have, a, we get a third of the resources, which I think is very rare. I, I've, as I've met more and more economic developers, I realize what a rarity that is. Um, and part of the challenge, as you pointed out, is 
it's a lot easier to show ROI when you move a Tesla to the community. You know, if you bring, or even a you know manufacturer, it shows 200 jobs. It, it makes all the headlines. You know, when we're celebrating four entrepreneurs, like four guys in a hoodie with a laptop, it doesn't generate the same enthusiasm. But, you know, the way I've always looked at this is you, attraction is a short-term strategy. You bring in jobs in the, in the near term. Retention is a midterm strategy, um, you know, keeping the companies there. And then entrepreneurship is a long-term strategy. You're planting a lot of seeds that if those sprout will create a lot of good jobs and a lot of, in, in a lot of cases, the jobs of the future and companies that are, that, that grow up in your community tend to stay in your community. So you just need a sufficient amount of runway. You need a leader that has some vision to see that, and you need cover. I needed air cover for like two and a half, three years before we could really demonstrate some of that. And fortunately we were lucky. We got recognized by IEDC. We run, we won two gold IEDC awards for entrepreneurship that only two IEDC awards ever in the state of Nevada. So we got a few, you know, pieces that helped us along the way, but fundamentally it came from leadership recognizing the long-term value of entrepreneurship. Uh, that's, that's fascinating. And I'm hoping that there is a playbook somewhere in your future around how do you start with ecosystem building and of yeah. course the podcast as well, correct? Yeah, well, we, we're just working on, we're, we're going to launch a growth, uh, the, a new podcast called The Growth Pioneers, and we will be interviewing um, entrepreneurs in our community, community builders. Uh, you know, I, I have to say, I, I've learned so much from Coffin Foundation, you know, a big fan of Victor Huang's work and Andy Stoll. There, it's, and the Startup Champions Network is absolutely one of the best things people can participate in because you just you need other people that are in the trenches. You know, I've, I've been a member of Entrepreneurs Organization for about 13 years, and I'm still in the same forum now that we're not part of EO. But what I learned about that is it's just, it's really powerful to work with peers that are in non-competitive businesses or non-competitive communities. You can just learn so much by by sharing. I mean, an example of that was I was walking on the streets of, of Kansas City talking to Andy, lamenting, how do we get the government to help us? And how do we get the governor to help entrepreneurship? And he's like, well, why don't you just have your governor call entrepreneurs? And I was like, that's a brilliant idea. I'm going to do that. And so every quarter, I would send a list of five entrepreneurs to the governor's office. And the governor would individually call these entrepreneurs and just thank them for, for doing business in Nevada. And that, to this day, is still one of the my favorite things we've ever done. Because that meant so much to every entrepreneur. They felt like they were appreciated by the governor. I mean, I would hear these calls and I didn't tell them that I did it. I'd be like, the governor just called me out of the blue today to thank me for my startup. And I was like, oh, that's great. <laughs> you know, and it was like this simple thing. It, you know, we didn't, it wasn't some huge government program, it, but what it did is it reinforced the culture of entrepreneurship in the community. It really put wind under the sails of those entrepreneurs, which all of us in ecosystem building knows, you know, you have great days and you have tough days as an entrepreneur. So um, yeah, I, those are just those little things learned in having those conversations with other ecosystems builders is uh, invaluable. I second everything you just said. We are members of SCN, Startup Champions Network. We're also sponsors of Startup Champions Network because we believe in that work and we believe in the need for that network. And we're huge fans of Kristen and the entire leadership team there. So I do want to give a shout out to them. We're also big fans of the Kauffman Foundation and the initiative that we've been kind of helping participate in and share about the eShip 
initiative. Uh, we're big fans of that. We've been to two of their summits. Uh, and yeah, all around, you need these kind of support networks that might be national or regional that can help with sharing of ideas, helping foster those relationships, et cetera. Huge fans of that. I, I want to kind of shift topics a little bit and address something that you had brought up earlier and love to get your thoughts around this because we've seen this happening in different parts of the country. And I'm just curious uh, about the ROI and uh, whether something like this has long-term uh, impact, which is the ability to attract startups and what we call like digital nomads, et cetera. So you're not actually like moving companies, but you've created this entrepreneurship community and the culture of celebrating innovation, celebrating wins and losses. And then you've now made this uh, a valuable place for people to come and work from. How is that going? You know, what are some ways in which you are making this successful? Because I'm sure entrepreneurship centers across the country are curious about this. Yeah, th this is an interesting one. You know, I have I have struggled with the idea of attracting entrepreneurs. Initially, honestly, my hesitation to this was I didn't want to try and attract startups out of my, you know, my peers' ecosystems. This was like, you know, this is a block. Like, I don't want to help attract companies out of Des Moines. They need help in Des Moines, right? But I, I actually had a conversation with someone at Techstars, and he said it brilliantly. He's like, the Bay Area has too many startups. Like, you can thin the herd, and it'll be good for everybody. And so, you know, that that conversation really shifted our thinking around um, attracting entrepreneurs and digital nomads and, and um, you know, early stage startups to Reno. I think, you know, my, my feeling on that is you have to have a there there. So we had a foundation of an ecosystem. We had enough going on that if people showed up, they didn't feel like they were the only ones. And so a big part of our attraction program is really what I would consider um, community integration. So anytime a an entrepreneur would would come over. I mean, we and we would help support them. We set them up in hotels, or I have an Airbnb, um, and we would just help walk them around the community and introduce them to the other entrepreneurs. They don't want to hear me selling Reno. I want them to hear it directly from the other entrepreneurs, and they will tell them the good, the bad, the ugly. Is because ultimately, I want people to be successful. You know, my primary core value is entrepreneur first. So if I don't think it's a good fit for them, or they don't think it's a good fit for him, I don't want them here. I wanted to be successful. You know, I, I have a very direct personal experience where I was trying to raise venture money for one of my startups. And I, this guy handed me a contract. And if I would have signed that contract, it would have killed the con it would have killed the deal. And thankfully, um, my lawyer helped us out with that. But it just it reminded me how fragile startups are. And, you know, so for me, I want to do the right thing for the entrepreneur no matter what. Um, so we really, you know, targeted bringing in over, over entrepreneurs and helping them get a feel for the community. And some, and if it fits, great. And if it doesn't, that's great too. But I guess I would say that you really need a there there um, before you bring them. So as long as there's a, there is an ecosystem there, then it's really just about fit. And, you know, Reno isn't for everybody. It's great for a lot of people, but it's not for everybody. And so just trying to find the right fit, I think is a big part of that. And in terms of industries or in terms of, resources is there something that that ecosystems need to do to support these uh, and it could be from the bay area it could be just startups looking to move out of urban areas into rural communities you know you had talked a little bit about the need for diversity in capital or diverse capital sources 
what are some other resources that you think are critical to establishing entrepreneurship ecosystems? I think the number one issue is talent. Number one. I mean, that's the number one question. That's the first question out of everybody's mouth is where are you know the people that I'm going to hire? That's the fundamental challenge. Um, obviously, you need capital, but capital is efficient relatively. Um, and especially if you're talking about past seed stage, that's not the issue. The issue is is talent. So, you know, relationships with the universities, uh, you know, things like code schools, places where people can find talent. So we have a whole section of our organization that focuses on workforce. So if people, uh, you know, when a company comes here and they need to go hire a bunch of developers, we, we can point them in that direction. Um, we've had a ton of success working with the university on their intern programs. In fact, there's a company in our ecosystem, a data science ad tech company, that I think they have 17 um, people that were hired directly from an intern program. And so just really facilitating that connection. And it's great because prior to that, we were having a brain drain. You know, all of the technology folks wanted to go work for Google over the hill, but a lot of them loved being in Reno. They just didn't have opportunities. So I think, you know, working with your university, if you can find other programs like Code Schools, um, you know, anything that you can do to help do talent development is a big part of it because I think that's the challenge when you leave a, a big, a big city, you know, where am I going to find people now? Hopefully when maybe one of the silver linings of COVID is it does seem like companies, especially startup early stage technology companies are remote first. And so that will change that a little bit, but over the long run, you know, people want to have good talent where they can, you know, in their backyard and it, and it will probably always have a remote component, but I, I think you cannot, do enough to help support talent development. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point you bring up. And I'll kind of just give you my perspective. We are a small startup that's about three years old. We'll hit about a little over a million dollars in revenue this year. And we absolutely, the number one thing for me as a CEO is talent. How do you find and how do you bring that talent in? How do you create the right incentives for them to thrive. And i that's the only thing I lose sleep over. At any given point in time, I am recruiting. Sure. Uh, I might not sell as much and I might not focus on operations as much. The thing that I'm doing every single day uh, is looking for talent. And I think the perspective, like you said, has shifted. To give you a, an idea, we, are, uh, we don't have a headquarters. We are in 10 different states and 10 different employees, 10 employees in 10 different states. And for me, it was about finding the right talent wherever they are and then, you know, remote work. But like you said, at some point, you also do want a place where you can uh, maybe uh, have a headquarters or uh, somewhere where you can have an operations hub uh, as you grow. The other thing is, even if you don't have uh, localized talent, if you can be the talent pipeline for those startups in your community where you can help make the connections wherever the talent is, I think you still do a big, big service for them because, uh, you know, there is no easy way, Doug. For me, when I look at talent, especially development talent, I'm paying premium dollars to recruiting firms at this point to get those uh, developers. I don't have any other option. Yeah. And it's, I mean, that's, that's the one thing that has been most frustrating, honestly, is trying to convince people that, you know, especially at the state level that we need to invest in development talent. It, you know, it, it, it has been like banging our heads on the wall. It's like, 
well, show us the demand. I'm like, it's the most in-demand job in the world. Well, we don't have a lot of it in Nevada. That's because we don't have a lot of you know, <laughs> this chicken egg thing. And I'm just, you know, talk about barriers. Now we've come a long way. There's, um, you know, that there's now a handful of schools and the universities come on board, but boy, that's, you know, that can be interfacing sometimes with some of the bureaucratic organizations can be a bit, a bit brutal. Um, just, I wanted to mention though, that now you're about to cross the million dollar barrier. You should, uh, really consider looking at, uh, joining your local EO chapter. I, I cannot say enough good things about, uh, entrepreneurs organizations. It's totally changed my life. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you for that tip. I, I love these tips that come out of the podcast. I've heard about books I should read. This is something I should definitely check out, uh, because we're always looking to be part of different organizations that can, you know, take us to the next level. So let me, uh, shift to one question that I've asked every single guest on our podcast, which is from all of your years building entrepreneurship ecosystems, what are top three things that you would like uh, our listeners to know that you've learned the hard way? I think one of the things was how do you, how are you inclusive and also curate the right audience? And this is a challenge. We were talking about this a little bit on the, on the mentorship you know, there is a place for everyone in ecosystems. And so you want to be able to have an open door and be inclusive. On the same, at the same time, you need to curate the, you know, the right groups of people. Otherwise, you, you lose some of that value. So like in the mentor world, if you don't curate the right mentors, um, the mentors, like the, the group will not see themselves as peers and then you will lose the energy of the mentors. And there's an... There's effectively an endless supply of entrepreneurs and there's a limited number of mentors. So you have to create a lot of value on the mentors. The same thing is true in some of these other um, programs. Like we run a founder dinner and we run a founder dinner that you have to add, you have to be at a certain stage of business. And it's not to say that um, the people that aren't at that stage wouldn't have value, but it's really around that that pureness. So, it, and it's a delicate balance. This is a delicate dance, and so I don't. I'm not saying I'm not sure we've figured this out 100. percent But that that balance between being inclusive and then also curating the right group such that there's sufficient value for them. Um, that that's always that has been a continuing struggle. Um, you know the other the other thing I guess I would have I would say is that we probably would have put well you know we put some more emphasis on trying to organize seed capital a little earlier although you know it's sort of this is a tough one I, I um, once we got our seed fund up and running um, it has been a it's been a game changer honestly it's a small fund but it. Um, you know, for a long time, we didn't have a fund and we kind of justified it. So I don't know. I don't know. That, that's, a, that's a tough one. That Again, it's a bit of a chicken and an egg. I guess the other thing I would say is go to other communities and learn a lot about what they are. But then the goal is not to replicate that. The goal is to bring it back and make it your own. So the goal is never to go, um, you know, replicate something. It was just a, how do we take the learnings of that and bring it in? I guess one thing I would say, one other thing was to try and build on your strengths. I mean, we we did a lot of things that were generically supportive of entrepreneurship, and I think that's really great um, to really build on sectors. And this is where I think working with local economic development can be helpful. I mean, we really, the other side of our organization focused on advanced manufacturing. 
And so we became the advanced manufacturing hub of the West. And that is really starting to pay dividends. You don't see a lot of early stage companies in that, but you know, from Tesla and Panasonic and I and these other companies, you get a lot of talent and a lot of those people don't stay there very long. And then they want, they like the community and they want to create something. So, you know, I guess two thoughts on that is focus on areas of excellence. If you can, if you have those, and then, um, you know, just with the, if you can find ways to work with the larger organizations, um, long-term that can be helpful. I, I would say that would be the one area that we have not done a great job at is in facilitating, um, corporate connectivity. Um, it's kind of hard to do generically. So, um, still trying to figure out how to do that because that's, you know, what entrepreneurs need, they obviously need customers. And so to be able to help them find first customers is a, is a big part of that. That's a, that's a challenge that continues to elude us a little bit. Wow. This has been a fascinating conversation. I know that because I did not realize that we've gone through 37 minutes of this conversation and I feel like I've got so many more questions for you. So we'll bring you back, Doug. And it's always such an amazing conversation uh, just because you've been there, you've seen it, and you've got such a great perspective on it. So thank you for being on the show today. Uh, before we go, one last question. How can people find your work and follow your work? Yeah, well, this has been a lot of fun. I And I love talking about this. You know, I care deeply about the entrepreneurs and um, and, I, and I care deeply about our community. Um, you know, I, I'm, you can find me pretty easily. Um, you can go to edawn, uh, E-D-A-W-N dot O-R-G, and I'm on, you click on startups, and I'm easy to find there. Or you can go to startupreno.org, um, easy to find there. Or I'm, you can just look me up on LinkedIn. And now you could actually go on Startup Space and just join our local community. Yes, thank you for that. Yes, uh, very excited about the launch that's happening uh, on the 27th of Jan. So uh, more to come on that on our social media feeds, but uh, we'll have a chance to again connect on that, Doug. Sounds great. Thanks again, David. Yeah. Thank you for being on the show today. Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners hosted by David Polnraj. Special thanks to Doug Irwin for joining us. Cover art by show manager and creative director Mackenzie Dial Fritcher. Edited and produced by Lauren Bernard. If you'd like to suggest interviewees, new topics, or just want to reach out, please email us at podcast at startupspace.app. All Breaking Down Barriers episodes are available on our website or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Feel free to rate, review, and subscribe for all the latest updates. <laughs>